Hello out there in TV land. I'm Dr. Wright. I'm Brendan Savory. I'm Sebastian Rickhoff. And my name is Rowan Wood. Welcome, welcome, welcome to a very special presentation of Across the Stars, where if it's Star Wars, we cover, we cover it. it. I hope that was timed kind of well. I, I, <laughs> I waited. And yeah, this is something we do at the beginning of, of every episode. Yeah, anyway, what a Sebastian, joke at this point. Um, yeah, <laughs> Sebastian, go right ahead. What are we talking about this week? Today is the wonderful, long-awaited discussion of The Last Jedi, perhaps the most controversial of all the movies, because a lot of people really love it. And uh, folks like Brennan and I, the... Uh, more. The villains of this story. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps the uh, the ones with taste aren't such Ooh. big fans of it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, this is this is a uh, a duel of the fates, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I think you could. My my opening statement, if you will, Ooh, is yeah, yeah, go right ahead. Is the, I mean, this is one of those movies where when I first saw it in theaters, I was like, oh, that wasn't too bad. But then the more and more I thought about it, the worse and worse I realized this movie is. And now whenever I rewatch it, I can't help but notice all those like tiny flaws. And some of them aren't so tiny, but whatever. We'll get to all of those in just a minute. So, Rowan, if you would like to. All right. So I really like The Last Jedi. Granted, I do not love it. It is not my favorite Star Wars movie, but I do like it much better than Sebastian and Brennan do. Um, so I believe, uh, and we'll, we'll get into more specifics and more generalities later on in this video uh, and or uh, episode and in next episode, because this is going to be two parts. Um, but basically, I think The Last Jedi... Uh, <laughs> Brennan, I can see that, uh, that, 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 that look of wonderment you have there. Uh, so The Last Jedi, I think, is um, a well-made film uh, with some very careful uh, foreshadowing and a very uh, deliberate beginning, middle, and end. Granted, uh, there are some things that don't land completely well, and there are some things uh, about it that I find to be uh, not so great, but we will discuss that later. Uh, I think this movie has a really good message, some strong performances, um, and some really great action sequences. Uh, Dr. Wright, do you have anything to add? Um, only that I think I might like the film the best out of the four of us. Um, <laughs> this might almost be three against one at some points. Um, we'll see. I don't know. I am, I am very willing to defend this movie because uh, I've seen a lot of hate about it on the internet uh, and I'm just not standing for it. Um, so, well, actually I'm, 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 I'm sitting yeah. right now, so I'm sitting right now. So I'm definitely not standing for anything. Um, but yeah, I'd anyway, that joke, if you weren't good, to... <laughs> we're all sitting right now. It's fine. Um, anyway, so, uh, we're just going to launch in, into this thing chronologically. First of all, I should say, uh, Sebastian and I were, were comparing, uh, the amount of note uh, of pages of notes that we have. We have about the same, uh, we're, we're going to cover about half the movie today. Uh, may, may, maybe a little more than half. Uh, and Sebastian and I each have about three pages of notes, uh, which would be half the movie, ha which is for half the movie, which is, um, about the, amount of notes that we have for a full movie uh, on average. Uh, so that just goes to show how much we have to say about this. Um, but anyway, yeah. So are we ready to jump in? 
Yes. See when you are. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> so we start off uh, basically right after the Force Awakens ended. Uh, the First Order is attacking the um, is attacking the Resistance base uh, in the Ilenium system. Remember that from Force Awakens. Uh, and um, one of the first ma major characters that we see is General Hux. And I want to bring up here. I know the scene makes him a joke, but before we get to that, was this before? He was a rebel spy. Spoiler alert, he is a spy in Rise of Skywalker. But he seems really ready and like really bloodthirsty when it comes to destroying the resistance here. So I want to get your guys' opinion on this. Like, do you think he was a spy at this point or not yet? Brennan, you, you, you have your hand raised. <laughs> I think that this is before um, J.J. Abrams took over for the third movie. Right. And then he wanted to put back his old thing and completely and like, oh, and let's then make more him... like in universe, but yeah, that makes sense. Oh, oh well, <laughs> in universe. Oh, I don't know. I was just making well, fun of I, I I agree with Brennan that, you know, of all even though Rise of Skywalker kind of sometimes goes out of its way to shit on this movie, I interpreted Hawks' motivation in that movie to be as a result of Kylo Ren becoming Supreme Leader. Because as this movie establishes in Episode 7 does too, he really does not like him. And I think that kind of seething envy and jealousy motivates his um, motivates his giving information to the Resistance. I, I kind of I interpreted that as a sort of something that happens between the movies. Uh, type of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm with Doctor Wright on this one. So, yeah, personally. that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, um, when I saw Carrie Fisher on screen in this scene, I put a sad face just because it's really sad that this was her last uh, full Star Wars movie. I'm not counting Rise of Skywalker because that was kind of unnatural and really distracting when you know that she's not actually there. Um, but yeah, sad face because Carrie Fisher's amazing and great uh, and uh, she's really good in this movie, I think. Uh, um, and my first note here is that this is actually, I mean, it's weird because in the seventh movie, Force Awakens, they're called the Resistance, but it's only in this movie that I feel like they actually are a Resistance because... Like the first, this is like the first time that the first order is like the actual thing in power. So I don't know. Right. Just, right the right, name right. resistance just throws me off. Well, yeah, because um, now that they have destroyed the Republic, uh, yeah. they, they, they have basically free reign. Yeah, now they are, but I mean, that was still their name. This, before, so. this brings up actually an interesting point, which plagues both J.J. Uh, Abrams' Star Trek projects and his Star Wars projects. Um, and it's not just these uh destiny for example the video game is kind of similar um where you have to look in other places to get like the background information so like for these um for these sequel trilogy movies like the chuck wendig novels and the other stuff that disney's putting out as part of their official expanded universe because a lot of the old stuff is now like legends or whatever that mm -hmm. gets brought in on an ad hoc basis um, and this wasn't as true of episode eight, but it was really true, um, of the JJ Abrams films. Um, and it is kind of frustrating because not everybody is going to take, um, going to take the time to like track down the, um, 
prequel comics issues um, or to read these other two or three novels um, that, go, that go along with it. Um, and I don't think it's as much of a problem with this movie, but it's definitely a problem with um, the J.J. Abrams ones. The most extreme example of this is the Enter the Matrix video game that came out with the two Matrix sequels. If you want to get the full story, you had to get all three. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's the video game's actually not bad. Uh huh. Interesting. Interesting. Um, unlike unlike uh, the last two Matrix movies. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, Poe Dameron comes up uh, with a little with a little. Um, um, I guess it was sort of a distraction to 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 get Hux's uh, attention yeah. from the uh, evacuation. Yeah, I, I put Poe's distraction in quotation marks. Uh, should not work. I, right, like, right. I, yeah. I feel like they should have shot him out of the sky uh, a minute ago before he, you know, reached the, the discount executor or whatever you want to call have this. You guys, the dreadnought. Have you guys seen Ex Machina? Yes. Not the uh, uh, Oscar Isaac and Dom, uh, Donald Gleason and Alicia Vikander. Yeah. Um. So when you have that whole little kind of like prank phone call coming on, all I can think of is the dynamic of that movie right. between the same two actors. Um, you know, I was rewatching even even in the middle of class. I'm thinking, hey man, I just want to fucking dance. <laughs> Um, someone, I mean, someone's definitely put audio from Ex Machina over that scene. Uh, that 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 just sounds that just sounds great. I'll look it up. I hope so. Yeah. Um. So Poe um does a little uh, your mom joke on uh, on on Hux. Um. And when we were watching this in uh, Dr. Wright's class, uh, because we're doing a heroism unit, uh, one of the students in the class uh, put in the chat, classic your mom joke. Uh, and I guess I had never really thought of it as a your mom joke until then. Cause I, like, I know it's like a huh, mom, but like, I didn't, it's not, it, it, it's, it's not a your mom joke, but it, it's like a star Wars version of a, like of a your mom joke. Um, yeah, quality writing. Um, I don't. So, this brings us to our first instance of intentional and very deliberately pointed comedy in this movie, which is, in in my opinion, very much hit or miss. Um, Brennan, I know you. You and I have had discussions about this movie, especially oh, the comedy. Yes. Do you want to give some thoughts on on the comedy in this movie? On the comedy in general, or just yeah, a scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just in general. The comedy in general, I, I'll agree with you with the hit or miss. Um, I think that there were a lot of times that the movie took, in my opinion, a like a like a short route to make a to make a comedy scene when there doesn't necessarily need to be a comedy scene, or if there is, I feel like that there's enough levity and stuff with the characters themselves that it doesn't have to like in previous star wars movies like they're funny but it's because of the characters and the situations they're in right like luke's a whiny little brat you get comedy from that when he's being like ah damn to pick up some power converters yeah yeah like there's some like unintentional comedy because of the characters but i feel like that in this they really hammer home lines that 
don't really fit the character or make this character seem a lot less intelligent than they really are. And I just, I don't think that a lot of them land well. There are some moments that I will chuckle at. I'll admit it. I don't purely hate this movie. It's like an 85-15 split. Could have fooled me. Hmm, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just very, you're right. It's very hit or miss depending on what you perceive it as. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, keeping in mind the whole comedy subjective type of thing, can you give me an example of a scene that you feel misses? Uh, Luke throwing the lightsaber over the cliff uh, <clears throat> right when Ray gives it to him. I think it was really deliberately trying to be like to get a laugh from the audience at the culmination of a big emotional scene. That was the ending of the last movie. And I feel like that was Ryan Johnson sort of saying like, it's like making a boner joke out of Evan Peters in WandaVision. It's like you were building up to so much <laughs> and then you and, and and then you did something like that and and it just seems it, it, it just seems like it nullifies a lot of the stuff that came before. Now I I, <laughs> I thought it was funny and uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. I, th- I, I, th- I thought it was funny but I I, I just feel like it 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 in in the grand scheme of things, I just feel like it, it it misses the mark in terms of the tone of the scene. Sorry, I interrupted. I well, in, in contrast to that, and uh, we can, we can kind of circle back to this later because we definitely will. I think that it does play a key role in, in Luke's narrative arc in this movie. Um, that I, if you need to start from that place of he, he is really figuratively throwing away. Um, this kind of Jedi heritage, and that's the place you've got to start from to get him to a scene we will talk about in part two uh, later on. Um, so I, 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 I'll defend that scene on, on that regard as part of the larger arc um, that Luke goes through. I mean, most of which actually does occur in the parts that we're going to talk about today, to be honest yeah. with you. Well, uh, no, I agree. I mean, the comedy I find to be missed. I think that this Poe Hawks thing, I mean, the your mom joke, I will admit, caught me off guard and got right, got right. a chuckle <laughs> just because I was like, oh shit, they put a your mom joke in Star Wars. But um, I would say that there are like a couple of, I don't know the exact lines because my memory is pretty, uh, but uh, I don't know. I feel like Finn has a lot of lines specifically that don't really land very well for me. Yeah, Brennan. Um, with that, um, I feel like that they are somewhat, they changed or tried to turn Finn more into both a strong quasi lead while also being a strong relief comedy figure in the movie. Like a line that really was supposed to be funny, I think. Or was supposed to be serious. That is also something that this movie has. Things that are supposed to be serious but are unintentionally funny. Well, for some people anyway. Is when he is battling Phasma at the end. And he goes, let's get it on Chrome Dome. And then I laughed because I'm like, this is awful. Why? I don't know if it was meant to be funny. I couldn't tell you. I really don't know the intention of that scene. Can I... 
Can I venture a theory here? Because this is actually, I think, a broader cultural thing that goes beyond these movies. Um, the, I think that you can broadly define a lot of banter in movies, and let's say really, yeah, the past 10 years, as loosely Whedon-esque. You know, if I may use that name in this day and age in that you know the kind of banter that you get in the first two avengers movies um you know which was also pretty foundational in stuff like you know like buffy uh and like firefly which a lot of you know modern writers you know grew up either working on or being influenced by i think that's really to a lot of movies in the snyder but never mind emphasizing all the actual Whedon scenes, but I think that's something you see in the Abrams Star Trek movies, you see in the Abrams other movies um, and you see in this one too, it's a much broader kind of cultural thing um, that is, yeah, really hit or miss for, for people, but the easiest way is just like any Marvel movie, even after Whedon left, has that just kind of banter at some kind of point Um it, it, yeah, like I said, it is really hit or miss for people, but it, I think it's it's not just a this movie problem. I think it's kind of like a movie broader culture problem right now. I can agree with that. I agree, yeah. yeah. I think there are some movies that benefit from it, definitely. Uh, but I, I can agree with that. Yeah, I can agree with that. I, I do agree with... Because in this movie, I personally do not think that the banter works well with some characters. It works well with others, but not with a lot of them. But like, there's some, especially what uh, what you were saying about Marvel movies, even after the Avengers. Like, sometimes the banter works, but there are a lot of times that it doesn't. One scene that pops in my head is in Civil War when Sam is making a joke to Natasha about like oh go on pet red wing which is a mechanical falcon and i'm like that took me right out of that scene like there's sometimes that the banter is too much and sometimes it fits the characters or the environment right right you know, you know what i think onions where we discuss everything not star wars sorry <laughs> well i mean just as kind of a last point on this because before yeah. we get way too far afield but i think i think a good divining rod for this because it's a really extreme example, is Scott Pilgrim versus the world, the movie version. Um, so I remember I saw that in theaters and I really liked it because it speaks to you know, really, quite literally people my age. <laughs> but I remember one of the guys I went to see it with, he, he walked out, I think, at minute 31. <laughs> and just like hung out in the lobby because he's like, no, nah, this is bullshit, man. That movie is um, hilarious. I love <laughs> that, that. That movie is great. <laughs> I mean, it, it, warms, it warms my heart to hear that, but I, I think that's like one of the more extreme examples of this because right. there, it's, um, you know, the, the, it, I, I think referential humor, R-E-F, has really um, become one of the dominant forms in movies and TV these days, which I appreciate because it's something I find really funny. Um, but it's not it's not always for everybody. Um, 
because sometimes there can be some work behind it to figure out what the hell are they talking about? You're like Captain America in the earlier movies, um, you know, not getting the references or like Finn sometimes in these movies, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Thank you for um, the circle back to the last Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the um, last Jedi, um, Sebastian, do you have any yeah. more notes about this battle scene? Cause I have, I, I have a few. Yeah, so, the, yeah, no, it's basically they delayed way too long in sending out the fighters for no reason, and then yeah. BB-8 just fixes the entire ship by ramming his head into a... By Marty McFlying it? Yeah, by ramming <laughs> his head into it. So I was like, yeah, okay, that's cool. Um, um, yeah, so... Uh we get a look inside this is like <laughs> this is a nitpick but i think it's 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 funny how how bad it is inside the dreadnought um when hux is talking to captain hannity who's in there the light inside the dreadnought is terrible like you can't see anything in there i don't know how all those people do their work it's lit so like like it's just dark red that's th that's just awful i could never work in that kind of environment in, in, and this is showing my age, but I would just point to Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and Red Alert, and just most of the hunt for Red October when they're on the sub. You know, the lighting is also, you know, pretty pretty dim and very red. Mm. Um, I think to the point where you'd ask that same question, my God, this cat. Um, <laughs> so it, it's not, it's, I think it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting throwback. Um, there's, you know, there's there's a Force Awakens is very refer, uh, reverential, R-E-V, to the original trilogy, and I would argue this movie is as well, but in much much different ways. Um, in in that, and I think one of which is what you and I were talking about just beforehand is using puppet Yoda instead of a CGI Yoda. Right. Right. Um, so, uh, I think the action in this scene, uh, uh, the battle, especially when the TIE fighters and the bombers come out, I think the action's great. CGI, dependable as always when it comes to the unlimited budget of Disney and Lucasfilm. Uh, yeah, Brandon. Um, what, okay. As much as I do not like this movie very much, I will admit that the action for the most part, is very Star Wars and very good. There are some scenes that takes me right out of it. Do we get to Canto Bite in this part, or do I have to yes, wait till the next part? Nope. We do. Yep. Okay, so I'm ready to tear that to shreds. <laughs> but all right, I'm we are for... we are far from there. <laughs> Doctor Wright is ready to tear you. Um, yeah, no. So, yeah, no, so we see the bombers drop this load, and it, I was just shocked that it took one bomber to take out the entire right the, yeah. the entire dreadnought. This thing is a fleet killer, and it took one bomber to. And somehow, all the other bombers also died. Yeah, um, I know. Y'all <laughs> haven't y'all haven't played Star Wars Tie Fighter. So I'm here. <laughs> I haven't, unfortunately, but um, when when uh, when Leia is going over um, how all how they lost all of their bombers, I thought of Thanos in Infinity War uh, saying, "This day extracts a heavy toll," because literally all of them all of them died, but only one of them did anything. Um, yeah, that's yeah. That, it's like one of my my points for this movie. It's a little bit later on, but I'll bring it up now just because it's kind of related to what we're talking about. She also says that there's 
400 people across three ships and that's all that's left of the resistance and i mean like i'm a fan of an underdog story but these odds are <laughs> like you know never tell me the odds yeah sorry <laughs> i guess you're right yeah you're true all right next point <laughs> um so I so then um, General Hux reports to Supreme Leader Snoke uh, that they let the resistance uh, th that the resistance got away, uh, and then Snoke like choke slams him on the floor, uh, and 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 I just think it's so cool because Snoke is on a completely different ship, uh, probably in that relatively same location, but like we've seen Vader force choke someone through a screen from the same ship, but now Snoke from a hologram of a, like, like from a hologram of just his head, uh, just like moves general Hux uh, to that extent from a completely different ship. And I just think it just goes to show how cool of a character Snoke is and could have been if they had given him more to do. Uh, that's more of a discussion for next part. Um, but for now, I just think that they do a really good job of setting up Snoke uh, and the and and the badass that he is, and how good Andy Serkis is in this role. Um, but it's, it's Andy Serkis. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Look, that guy <laughs> was so good as he was so good as Gollum mm -hmm. that, like, that for it, with you know, like I guess Marvel Cinematic Universe exceptions, like this is what he got to do. He's just really good at CGI. I the other thing I, I, I want to bring up. Um, is, you know, there, there's a lot of ways, which I'm sure you guys talked about in previous episodes of The Force Awakens, really nods back to uh, episode four. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up this kind of force choke, force slam type of thing, Rowan, because this is one of the ways that this movie nods back to um, Empire Strikes Back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, now, I don't have any notes until we go to Ray talking to Luke. Do you, Seb? Uh, the uh, only one I have is that Finn. Oh. Yeah. Oh, me. Okay. Uh, Finn wakes up, and the very first thing he does is shout Ray and fall over out of his bed. And I'm like, you know what? That pretty much sums up Finn from <laughs> here on out. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I have two questions. So, right. the, the kind of sillier nerd one is is that like a Bakta suit? Like something the like tank. that. Yeah. yeah, I've got to. I've okay. got to assume it's like the evolution of like a the Bakta tank. Okay, so that that that's the deep cut question. My bigger, well, question or point is that I think that you guys are hinting at, um, not that the original trilogy was planned out so broadly, not even that the prequels were either. But I think that there was a real breakdown in that with this trilogy. And the most obvious aspect to it is Finn. Oddly enough, not even Poe, who was supposed to die in The Force Awakens. But they, they really just don't know what to do with Finn. And I think, I think that he has a completely, you know, narratively complete, character arc for this movie mm -hmm. but for the larger trilogy is not there not like it is for kylo or ray or e or even poe um 
and I think you know I, I think the real breakdown came when they fired Colin Trevorrow and just they didn't know what to do with episode nine. But I think even here they're just they're just not quite sure what to do with Finn in the overall narrative. So like not to jump ahead, but if if he had died when he intended to in this movie, I, I don't think that would have like completely derailed the film of the trilogy. Yeah. And I was actually in the theater genuinely surprised that he didn't die. Because mm. that really seemed to be where the movie was going with his arc. Mm-hmm. But yeah, all the same, saying. when you get to the larger trilogy, it just, it, it's, the most, it's the most obvious way that this movie doesn't fit with the larger trilogy is what is Finn, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, no, yeah, so I've got um, a little bit more to say about yeah. Finn, but that that'll come later. Later. Okay, cool, cool. cool. Um, uh, so we go to um, Octu, where Ray gives Luke the lightsaber. As we've discussed, he throws it off the cliff, um, and uh, we get introduced to uh, the Porgs, aka the new Ewoks, aka Disney's uh, newest. Uh, marketing strategy and although i know all of you have probably said <laughs> dr Wright is pointing to a, <laughs> a to, to a porg he has on, on the top of the shelf uh, i i myself have uh, have have at least two porgs somewhere in my room um, oh no this is the second one i'll the second in the one, apartment really. <laughs> yeah. um, I think so, I have one anywhere, but um, um, I know that all of you have probably seen this, uh, but there is a uh, a scene that someone has edited where um, when the porgs are pecking at the lightsaber, uh, the lightsaber goes off and impales one of the porgs. So I'm going to show this uh, for the uh, for the video audience, uh, and and you know podcast audience can listen to it. Uh, but anyway, uh, here we go. It's it is a, it is a, a glorious seven seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I'm still pissed they cut this from the movie. I mean, they kept in, they kept in Chewbacca roasting a pork. And sure, he eventually didn't eat it, but he still cooked it. That, that, yeah, that, that was definitely the pork that uh, Chewbacca was eating, for sure. I would, I would have loved to just see him take a big bite out of it right as they're all watching it. It would have been... You, you want to talk about good humor in this movie, like we were right. earlier? That would have been hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, I, I had a note from, yeah, yeah, no, I, I had a note from like a couple minutes ago is that the the music for this movie is still outstanding, mm-hmm. uh, just like all the other movies. So, can, can I ask a question there? Yeah, I to me. You know the the, the the original soundtrack four or five and six, the one I grew up with. That that one's still really indelible to me, especially playing so many Star Wars video games as a kid. Um, this one, this whole trilogy. I know it's still John Williams, but so much of it was just not memorable to me. Nothing really stood out to me, like you know the Imperial March or the Battle of Endor stuff. Um, and I don't know if that's like a whole other thing with movies that's today where kind of soundtracks are kind of downplayed um, in in terms of the production process unlike they were years ago 
Um, but I, I just, it's um, not his strongest work to me. I um I talked about this in the in our Force Awakens review. I think Force Awakens has the most memorable music of the sequel trilogy, um, because it gives all of the characters new themes and it has like it plays upon the old themes while also having new stuff. And then the, the like Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker have some of their own new music, uh, but mostly they just repurpose the music from the Force Awakens, uh, and and the basic themes of Rey and Kylo and Luke, um, and I- yeah. You know, I, I, you know, I, I think, yeah. You, all right. Um, I, I do have to agree with you that, like, it, I, I feel like none of the, the music in the sequel trilogy stands out as much as, like you said, the Imperial Tree. And if you go to the prequel trilogy, like, um, you know, Battle of the Heroes or Duel of the Fates, you know, Jedi Temple March, but I, I can't think of, like, a track like, from the sequel trilogy that stands out half as much as, any of those do. I think the real, in, the real indictment of it is for the really for some of the really big emotional moments, they rely on original trilogy music. So we are trying to have a rousing moment of, for example, for the segment, Leia coming back into the ship. They use you know Leia's theme, but it's from 1977. It's not right. anything new. Um, and I, I think for the scene, you know, that works, but it's also just, you know, I think, you know, kind of prove my point with the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Sebastian, my next note is for when Kylo goes to visit Snoke. Uh, do you have anything before that? Nope, that's my next note. And it's just right. that I actually do like the look of the throne room. Yeah, I'm not, gonna, I'm not too proud to admit that I do. It's a nice setting in my, the color is... Is a nice setting. Yeah, um, I think I'm going to have a lot more to say about it in part two. Uh-huh. Um, I think so. So I wrote for this. Snoke's kind of cool. He should have had more focus on him because Snoke's is essentially the new emperor figure. Uh, Andy Circus equals great. Um, and I really liked how Snoke said to Kylo when he was um, sort of admonishing him. He said, "Take that ridiculous thing off." So was the mask. Was the mask Kylo's idea because he wanted to be more like Vader and Snoke didn't really like I I like to think that Kylo was like, okay, I'll be your apprentice, but you have to give me a mask like Vader. And Snoke is like, oh fine. And that was that was Kylo's like one condition to be his his apprentice. I I always saw him as more psychologically abusive. So in that in that I would say that Snoke both suggested the mask in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then is now telling him, dude, man, that sucks. It's so like two years ago, man. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's one of the things where I think you see this in the Abrams films where he, he's much more um, slavishly devoted to the memory of Darth Vader and like collecting Vader memorabilia. Um, and, I th- and I think the mask really plays into that. Um, where I, Honestly, I think the it's almost an acting decision. It's really like, you know, Adam Driver is a good enough actor. Let's, let's not hide his face the whole movie because he, you know, it, it will be a better performance if you don't do that. And I think that was narratively a good choice. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that that was that was one of my notes <clears throat> later on in the scene because Kylo basically destroys his mask, uh, which they should have kept it destroyed. Um, but it's it, it was a good decision on on Ryan Johnson's part to sort of get rid of Kylo's mask for that reason and to, and to differentiate him more from Vader because uh, Vader who wore a mask throughout the entire original trilogy. Um, I just feel like it it further differentiates the characters, which was. I think necessary because especially because with all the parallels that force awakens had with a new hope, Kylo Ren was essentially just a Vader clone that they changed a few details of. Um, And, and not having the mask just drives of just makes them further, uh, makes them more different, uh, which I think was a really good idea um, for a character. Not to drop a landmine here, but I have a question for you guys, just the way I hear you talking about Snoke. Mm -hmm. So, um, it sounds to me like it's the really common frustration is that who was this guy? What were we going to learn about him? And then like, oh, he just goes out like a bitch or something uh, in uh, in the in the movie. But you know, we know a lot about Palpatine because of the prequel trilogy, but you don't really get any information about him in Empire Strikes Back or in the original trilogy, he's just a name in New Hope. Um, he's just like a weird-looking dude um, in the movie. I don't think that in the in the original trilogy, the Emperor plays a much different role from Snoke in these. It's just in the second two movies instead of the first two. Mm-hmm. I can... Yeah, I can agree with that. I... Um... I, that was one of the things I remember is like in between the seventh and the eighth movie, I was like reading up on, you know, theories and shit. And one of the most common ideas I saw for a theory was who was Snoke. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Who was Snoke? Were you, are you expecting him to be like a character from the original trilogy? I mean, he, he kind of did I, end I, up being a character from the, yeah, he did. And I'm a little disappointed by that, but I, I, wait, 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 wait what do you mean? I'm, I'm blanking on. Well, that. Uh, like he was uh, like, the emperor was controlling, was like in control of him or something. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to make you remember that, but yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I, like I, I did I was curious to know a little bit more about him, but I didn't really theorize as much uh, personally. Brian? You know, this is one of the things that the old novels and expand and the video games are good about is like taking these kind of references and, you know, writing a whole book about them. Just like I, what did George mean here? Well, let's, let's, you know, here's my idea. Um, and, you know, Disney's a lot more, um, restrictive about that now um, but I, I think that's in, in like an earlier time um, and maybe Disney will still do this it'd be like you know a video game or some like novels about Snoke and where he came from or something yeah who knows I think there was a the comic about Kylo Ren that sort of went into that um, because the movies did literally nothing uh, to, to give Snoke any kind of backstory um, aside from the fact that he corrupted Kylo when he was a student at Luke's um, Academy. Uh, but uh, yeah, Brennan, before I move on. Um, so I don't know if, if Abrams had a plan for Snoke besides just him being a 
somewhat Palpatine type clone esque because of during the Force Awakens. But in the Last Jedi, I realized because he was like built up to be like an Empire type. I said Empire, Emperor type, big bad, very looming over the entire franchise, right? Especially this trilogy. But then the second movie made it feel like that, well, maybe not made it feel like, made it exactly like that he was more of a pawn in Kylo's story than he was in his own. So as much as I am disappointed that Snoke was killed off without us getting a backstory or anything behind him, I realized that maybe it's because of the two years theorizing five out of the seven days a week for us super nerds of Star Wars trying to figure out what was going on. I think it's because we hyped him up so much. That is also something that just plagues movies in general today, which we do not have to get into. That well, he became more of a stepping stone in Kylo's story than having his own story. But, but to your point, that's very much a J.J. Abrams thing. And it's it, this kind of MacGuffin thing in our culture is something that I think he's largely responsible for. Like the easy thing to point to is lost. But to me, thinking just about everything J.J. Abrams did before this movie, my thinking is he had no plan for Snoke. Yeah, that's probably unfortunately true. But you know, you know who might be even cooler than Snoke, in my opinion, are his Praetorian guards, uh, the guys in red. Uh, I have um, a lot of thoughts about the uh, fight scene with them, um, but I think their designs especially are so cool and they had so much potential. And I just thought that they were, when I first saw them in the theater and when I saw them when we were watching it in class the other day, I was just like once again, blown away by just how sleek and how visually impressive they are. I, I think that th this whole movie is from a cinematography angle, one of the more, vis one of the more visually impressive of all nine movies. Um, mm -hmm. I think that um, for better or worse, Ryan Johnson is the, at worst, second best director of all nine movies. Yeah. Brennan, you, you sort of like <laughs> nodded your head ever so slightly there. Do you, do you have some thoughts on this? Because <laughs> I... I'm in no way denying that he is a good director because he is a fantastic director. I've seen Looper. I've seen Knives Out. I'm trying to remember other Ryan Johnson movies. Knives Out. But I've seen quite a bit, and I do like what he does with movies. However, I personally do not... I agree with him being one of the best directors of the Star Wars movies. I do not think that he was a good director for a Star Wars movie, which I think is different. Because it comes off on a completely different take than... Because for me, Last Jedi... Okay, fine. It's, it's a good movie. To me, it's not a good Star Wars movie. If it was another set of characters, if it was a completely different original thing, whatever, I feel like I would have liked it a lot more. I think it's because it didn't fit well into 
either Star Wars lore in general or how I perceive Star Wars lore, that that's why I am not the biggest fan of it. That's basically my attitude towards Rise of Skywalker. Like, I think it's a fine movie. It's just <laughs> like a bad Star Wars movie. That's my just attitude the... towards Solo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I, I like to suggest that this bigger question of what is a good Star Wars movie is something we might want to revisit at the end of part two. Right, yeah. Because I think it's a really important question that also um, is the easiest way to get at the bigger controversy of the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're over half an hour in, and I'm only one page through my notes. Uh, so we're gonna so we're gonna continue uh, with the with with the chronology here. Um, so Sebastian, the next note I have is for uh, Luke and Ray. Luke's talking. daily routine. <laughs> <laughs> mm, that green milk. <laughs> that is that is my. It, all three words of my next note is just Luke's daily routine. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I genuinely don't really know what to, I don't know what I was expecting him to be doing on the island. I probably should have been expecting it. Like he's all by himself. He's got to live off the land sort. I should have been expecting this, mm-hmm. but I guess I'm never going to drink white milk <laughs> <laughs> and do some incredible spear fishing. Like, yeah, true. Now, I'm trying to remember correctly with the spear fishing thing. Doesn't he like pole vault kind of pole vault across yeah. the thing? Oh, he totally and then spears vault. it. <laughs> yeah. And then goes back. Yeah. yeah. My real question is why can't he just do that from the beginning? Is it because he doesn't have the leverage against the wall? Maybe or well, is it well because he he so the thing like like the pole or whatever was like to the side he vaulted over and then it was straight so I think he needed to like get it straight down instead of from the side I don't know okay I, I think he just I think he just is trying to avoid Ray <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, at that point in the movie he doesn't want her there he doesn't want anyone there. Um, so Luke um, finally uh, acknowledges Ray, uh, and they have a conversation. And Luke basically tells her that, like, you know, I- I'm not who you think I am. Like, what do you think? I'm just going to walk out with a laser sword and take on the whole First Order? Great foreshadowing there, um, because that is exactly what he does. Uh, and I think Luke's storyline in this movie, say what you will about it, it's really unique in that he like like he doesn't want any like he he wants the Jedi to end. We've never seen that before in Star Wars because we've never seen a time um, in the galaxy when there are just so few Jedi. Like, like there's only one, two if you're counting Leia, but I'm, I'm not really. Um, so like, like there's really one more Jedi. There's so few Jedi that that um, Luke can like Luke can want them to to die out and intentionally do whatever he can to make that happen. And that's just something we've never seen in Star Wars uh, before. So points to Ryan Johnson for going places uh, that we've never really seen in Star Wars before. The only thing I will say about Luke here is that he is pretty much an entirely different person than he was 30 or so years ago. Right. Um, He's like really cynical now. Like... (laughs) Um. I would just point out that y'all are younger people. That's true. Yeah, no. And I I would posit to you that when you are my age, 
you will be as cynical as Luke Skywalker <laughs> in this movie. I, I, I know think people that... who are 19 and already more cynical. <laughs> oh, no, 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 not, not really, because they don't have student loans yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, it's, it, I mean, the, the example I used in class is that um, when I was y'all's age, uh, I was a pretty right-wing Republican, uh, and now I'm a Marxist. Um, I, I went to the complete other side of the horseshoe, um, so like, even if, if you think of, um, like my academic discipline is a sort of a niche thing, not unlike Jedi, maybe, you know, I'm at a point where not only did I come into it at kind of the very end, but there are people who are, I don't want to say committed, but are there are issues with the field of Latin and Greek studies as we know it that they are trying to correct and get rid of and the way that we see it in this country it just wouldn't be the same and I think that with the Jedi this movie plays into that because Luke you know, was very explicit about this when he's talking to Ray in one of his lessons that you know, if there's one takeaway about the, the prequel trilogy and its portrayal of the Jedi it's precisely their weakness and blindness and hubris um I, you know I, I don't think that's really subtext for george lucas and i and that further plays out um for example in um in the clone wars like with the Soka's storyline too um and you know we're we're so used to to seeing this stuff in terms of sith and jedi good and bad and this movie really refuses to play that in a lot of key scenes, which I think is really frustrating for a lot of people. Yeah, just um, going back to what I said, I all I wanted to do was point out that he, like, he is an entirely different person after these uh, 30 years. I made sure not to say that it was like a, a good or bad thing, just for the record. <laughs> um, make it make it clear that I yeah no um okay so so then we get like another to, uh, yeah, yeah so we I'm, get another I'm scene on the, the ship right yeah yeah yeah, yeah um, and um they like hyper space jump to mm. nowhere um yeah yeah um so the so they they jump to light speed uh, but then the first order tracks them again and uh it's revealed that they have them uh that just as general hux claimed they do have the resistance tied on the end of a string um and the resistance can't jump to light speed again um well they could but then they would be just left dead in, uh, dead in the water uh, because of fuel shortages. Fuel shortages are yet another thing that we don't see at all in Star Wars. So I'm going to say uh, points to Ryan Johnson for acknowledging that those things do exist and that it realistically it would happen in this universe, just like um, uh, Cara Dune's uh, blaster jamming in The Mandalorian Season 2. You never see that happening, but you know, realistically, with the technology, it's something that would happen. Uh, so I'm glad that these um, media that this media uh, acknowledges it. Brennan. Now, hmm, it's 
the fuel is a prevalent issue that is never brought up in previous movies. And fine, I guess I'll give Ryan Johnson props for that because it is an issue that would have happened. You're right. But I think the fact that this is the only movie that has mentioned it. Everything else, not even, I don't think, I mean, I may be going on a limb here. I don't believe even in last, uh, was it Rise of Skywalker? I really don't think they've mentioned fuel like they have in this sense, because in here it's a very pivotal plot point. Mm-hmm. And in other things, if they've mentioned it at all, it is nowhere near it's like a minor in- inconvenience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I think that's my problem. Isn't the whole thing they're trying to steal in Solo basically fuel? Yeah, yeah, pr- pretty much, yeah. And what makes it funny is, is that they're stealing the fuel for the Rebels, who later yeah. in The Last Jedi end up with a shortage of fuel. I don't know, that's, that's a very, it's a very uh, uh, far Boy, too bad they <laughs> killed that smuggler, huh? Right. <laughs> and, uh, see, I don't... I don't have a problem with Ryan Johnson bringing up this, like, them running out of fuel eventually, because you're right, I'm kind of shocked that we don't see this kind of thing happen more often. I'm just a little bothered by the fact that that is one of the most important plot points of the movie, is that they're running out of gas. Um, So... That's all I really got to say. And then the other thing is that they mentioned that before people weren't able to track through light speed which i feel like we've probably seen happen at some point uh i mean i mean obi-wan in episode two uh jango fett or or sorry obi-wan tracked jango fett to geonosis from camino right (laughs) yeah that's exactly the the example i was thinking of i just couldn't remember off the top of my head if they Mm -hmm. went through light speed i assume they did Um, yeah yeah yeah. because remember obi-wan had like the big hyperspace ring exactly so clearly they've had this tech unless i mean you know you theorize that it got wiped out when the empire took over or something like that or fell i don't know it's kind of like the time travel in Star Trek Four, where it's just it's it's very much a day and sex machina plot device. Because I I to me that's one of the biggest plot holes of this whole movie. I I couldn't explain to you how the hell that works except as a narrative device <laughs> to build up to build up the tension. I I just um I can't even remember the scene you're talking about in Attack of the Clones. <laughs> Um, anyway, so uh, the First Order attacks, and we actually got to see Kylo Ren fly in this one. We never got to see him fly in The Force Awakens. Uh, he's obviously a very skilled pilot, and he has an, inherited that from his family, uh, you know, being the grandson of Anakin and all that. And the um, son of Han Solo. Son of Han Solo, <laughs> yeah. of course. Totally, totally forgot about that. You um, probably focus on the Han Solo part and not the, <laughs> the grandson of a pod race. Right. Um, yeah, he, so, he blows... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, Sebastian. My next note has to do with what you're going to say. So. Yeah, he blows up this whole hangar that Poe is standing in, and Poe just like gets sent backwards instead of getting blown up with the hangar. It's you know, he's got that plot armor. He's got to live. Um, yeah, Brennan. Then in addition to that, he also 
doesn't quite blow up the bridge. He spares the bridge. Wait, 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 wait. hold on just a second. I'm not there yet. Um, here, well, sort of kind of there. Uh, we get to see the resistance at its lowest. The Republic is gone. Their base is gone. Their ships are running out of fuel. And most of their leadership are dead. And like all of their ship, like all their fighters are gone. All the X-Wings, they're all gone. Uh, so I, I feel like here we're definitely seeing the resistance um, at its lowest point. Uh, which I think is something that I think is very important to show because I don't think we ever see the rebels in the original trilogy fall this far. We never see them at this point. Um, so again, points to Ryan Johnson for actually going there. Uh, Brennan, you've been wanting to say something for a bit. Um, I think along with the very convenient Poe and BB-8 being the only two beings, if you can call yeah. Yeah. BB-8 a being, um, Excuse you, survive, droid lives matter. Sorry, go on. <laughs> to survive the uh, the attack or the hangar blowing up, um, I just well, I felt like that that was that this is a better point to bring up that BBA in this is both very plot convenient and also very, in my opinion, overtly comedic. Like how I was talking about earlier, how some comedy scenes strictly are for comedy and not so much characters or anything. I think I don't necessarily think that it was that bad of because I know that uh, like C-3PO was inherently funny because he was a nervous wreck. And, you know, especially I'm assuming in that time you'd see movies like uh, like, oh, my God, uh 2001 A Space Odyssey, well, well, HAL 9000 is an automatic robot, and he's cynical, not cynical, but he's HAL 9000. He's menacing in just his way. And then you see in the late 70s, this neurotic, terrified, nervous robot, and then his little companion that is just funny, like you can't hear anything. So I think like that comedy works well because that's more of the character but i feel like that bb-8 progressively especially in this movie is very plot conveniently funny like the comedy that he has don't shoot me for this but reminds me of like that scene in phantom menace when jar jar binks just happens to defeat so many people around him because he's an idiot I just find it seems very plot conveniently comedic and it's not, it doesn't always, it lands comedy wise, but like in the bigger scheme of things, you're like, is this really where you wanted the character to go? That, that, well, my take of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand. I'd have to shoot you for that, Brennan. I can't believe you said that. My goodness. Uh, <laughs> but um, the point, it was like another small point I had, but I, whatever, I forget things. Um, yeah, it's not coming to me. Um, so, yeah, so the next thing that happens is two TIE fighters, after Kylo hesitates, two, two TIE fighters blow over the main bridge, and... Like, Surprised they didn't do it before, oh, honestly. <laughs> I know. Okay, now I remember my point that I was going to say. Uh, yeah, you mentioned, like, kudos to Ryan Johnson for showing the resistance at this all-time low, but I feel like the low that they've reached, where there are only 400 members across three ships, like I mentioned before, is just 
too low for me to believe that they're a formidable fighting force against the First Order. Um, that's all I was going to say. Um, so yeah, they blow up all the like generals and shit get blasted. Admiral Akbar, rest in peace. Rest I know, Admiral Akbar died. Why did he have to die? <sighs> anyway. They really did him dirty in this movie. Right? I forgot he existed and then he came back. Like I thought he was <laughs> gone before this sequel trilogy started and then they bring him in for maybe two minutes top screen time in general and then and then he just died and i was like damn there goes Admiral and then Akbar. and then the leia scene comes up and that yeah. is controversial among many people not maybe not so much controversial but just very talked about and very divisive among fans yeah you know she she survives the explosion the cold vacuum of space and then goes in and just brings herself to the ship and walks in and falls unconscious and i mean i don't i don't see why that would be controversial at all this is another <laughs> plot in my opinion another plot convenient they survive this thing that right, is a right. cinema sins joke for some people but it's just very like poe and bb8 survived the hangar explosion and then leia is the only sole survivor of this one yeah, I, and i think sometimes that can also dim down the stakes because yeah. you know we're i feel like at some points we're supposed to be nervous because you know she's in uh she's like on death row or whatever like she's in the bed she's recuperating and we don't really see her much until somewhat towards the third uh the third act but it's times like this then like when you're the only survivor it seems very, very likely that you're going to end up surviving. So I think sometimes I can take away from the emotional impact that you're trying to have of this person being the last survivor. Of mm -hmm. Yeah, I also think that this would have been like a great opportunity. This movie came out after Carrie Fisher. One year after she died, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I think that this would have been like a, a good opportunity for them to I remember. Have. I remember watching this in, in the theater and thinking, oh, that's how they're going to get around this. But then right. I realized, no, they filmed this like like before her death. And so like they would have no way of knowing. And, mm. and, and, and then I thought, so either they were incredibly good at predicting what was going to happen and that they wouldn't need her for the next movie or she's going to come back. And she came back. Um, I, and yeah, Dr. Wright. I don't think you can... I really think you need that scene between her and Mark Hamill. Mm -hmm. I do think, um, I was thinking a big what if for this, which you guys are kind of getting into is I was under the impression that had Carrie Fisher lived, her Leia's role was going to be kind of more overtly Jedi-ish in episode nine. Obviously that, that really scotched the plans. Um, so I'm wondering if they had been able to do that, would we see this scene differently now? Because it is, it is the most overt use of any force power she has. And I think that's one reason it comes out of the blue for a lot of people, because she never uses the force like this again in any of the other films. I, I personally don't think that I would see it any differently because I remember even being in theaters and this scene just kind of took me out of it a little bit. And then the other, uh, the other thing I have with this scene is that 
even if she does have the force i feel like you know i'm just like putting in even if you put in like another jedi have them be on that bridge and with the explosion and then the vacuum of space i don't think that they would have survived so i don't think she should have uh that's just me personally it's i remember at one point because this uh when did this move come out december 2017 2017 yeah yeah um i remember um because also uh bringing another franchise into this. I remember that a, I remember, I think maybe you and I, Rowan made this parallel or maybe I did with someone else, but in Guardians of the Galaxy volume two, which came out earlier that year. Yeah, that was, that was me. Yeah. I, I rem- it was. Yeah. Because the, the whole emotional scene with Yondu's, Oh, this is also spoilers for Guardians of the Galaxy. For, volume for a two. movie that's been out for four years. Come on guys. Yeah. Um, because Yondu sacrifices himself in the vacuum of space and nearly somewhat immediately, obviously there's some dramatic effect there, but he, as most times you would in just the pure vacuum of space, you'd freeze. But in this film, she is given, I feel like a little bit more time for a dramatic effect and or uh, ex machina of her using this force power. I commend the act of her using this much force power, but I think it should have had a lot more either buildup or consequences because she does collapse right after. But I realized that we think that she's collapsing because she was just on space. She should really be collapsing because of she has exerted so much force energy that she has never shown before. Right. So maybe if they, if I don't know if that was the intention of why she fainted, it may not have, but if it was, I feel like that they could have hammered that home, like maybe like a little bit more and be like the force, even like a tiny expositional, the force it exhausted her, or she says it later. I feel like that would have maybe made it felt a lot more emotionally resonant as much as sometimes it looks silly. I feel like that that would have made it hit a lot closer to home than just what we got. Brenna, what what you were mentioning made me think of the, uh, uh, this is kind of a, a, a diversion, but the first episode of the Magic School Bus, the very first episode, they go into space and Arnold, Arnold. takes his helmet Arnold off freezes. and freezes and he almost dies before they bring him back. Doesn't his face just go straight to ice? His, his face just yeah. goes like his head just turns like completely into ice, but his glasses are still there. <laughs> I have that image just like vividly saved in my head. Um, yeah, but I think that also goes for like in other media. It's because we don't really. I mean, we do somewhat know what will happen in space, but I think there's a lot of unknowns. But I think it's very no actually common. done that for very yes. obvious it's reasons. Done and it's very common in media for almost immediately or immediately the person freezes. Right. I, I like- um, I'm glad you brought up those two scenes because there's also the weird the uh, the Mary Poppins vibe in both of those scenes in Guardians of the yeah. Galaxy and this one too. Right. right. <laughs> 
Who's Mary Poppins? Was he cool? Sorry. Uh, Guardians line. So um, we're back on. So I, I, I just have one note for back on um, Octu with Luke and um, Ray. Um, Chewbacca is eating uh, the porgs. Uh, or, 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 or sorry, one pork. He almost eats one pork. And uh, the porgs uh, stare at him uh, longingly because he's going to eat one of their friends. Um, and I wonder, so Luke eats the fish there. Did he ever eat the porgs? Like when he first got there, did he like try porg and then just like, nah, so he went to fish? Because like, honestly, like they would be the first ones that I would try. If, if for I me, bet he did. Totally At some 30, like probably, he, he wasn't like 30 years. No, but he, probably like five, maybe Yeah, five he's been there years. for a couple of years. He's definitely, at some point he has to have tried porg. Right, yeah. No way he didn't. But yeah, he's so a vegetarian. That, <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Um, yeah, so then Finn tries escaping oh, on an escape pod. Um, yeah, so Finn tries escaping on an escape pod. Oh, wait, first, first, chases him. Um, first, we get oh, introduced first. to Grand Admiral Holdo. Um, That's who, true. Oh, it's, sorry, Vice Admiral Holdo, um, who is taking over for Leia. Uh, she's played by Laura Dern from Jurassic Park and several other films. Queen. Yeah, um, I think she does a great job in this movie. Um, I think she's. I she's, agree with. I'll agree. Yeah. I'll yeah. give you that one. She's one of the high points, and uh, a certain scene later on with her character is one of my favorites in the movie. Um, so yeah, uh, so we get introduced to her, and then Sebastian continue. Sorry. Yes, and so Finn tries escaping, gets tased by Rose, who's <laughs> told not to let anybody escape, um, and. Then they come up with this plan to board Snoke's, like, star, or not, yeah, the, like, lead star destroyer in order to disable hyperspace tracking. And Finn said, like, Finn says that he mopped that star destroyer, too. And I think, you know, he's talking about Snoke's star destroyer. Finn too. was a janitor every day. Yeah, yeah, he was a janitor <laughs> on Snoke's star destroyer and star killer base. And then he had time to be part of the regular, like, stormtrooper army. Like, this guy. <laughs> I own places. I know, yeah. right? Like, he's he, he's been everywhere they need him to be. Uh, well, Roland. Um, so, uh, Rose is played by Kelly Marie Tran. Who got so much shit for this movie, and I like I I, I understand like I, I I I read a bunch of stuff online. I can see like I like I don't feel the same way, but I see why people attacked her on social media, which was f- fucking awful. Um, like made her quit social media. I think she gives such a genuine performance, especially when she first meets Finn. And she's like, she's so very obviously awestruck to see him uh, and, 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 and to finally meet him. And it's just like, it's just so real. Um, and I, I, I just don't like, I, I don't, I can't understand how people could hate her character in, in terms of, um, in terms of just her and not, her. people need to learn to separate the actor from the character. Um, I, that was a point yeah, I was going to yeah. make because I, Personally, I've, I told you this when this whole shit with everyone crapping over killing Mary Tran and making her feel garbage about herself. I am thinking, I'm like, these people 
I mean, I personally do not like the character of Rose. I don't. I shit on the character Rose. I would never shit on Kilimiri Tran because she's a fantastic actress. But just because I don't like the character doesn't mean I have to or need to dislike the person that created that character or or uh, made that character who it is. I agree. You can hate the character all you want. You don't have to hate the actor playing them. Not exactly. Them. They got to make money, you know? Right. Um, yeah, and so later on, you know, they talked to Maz for a bit. Very useless uh, cameo. Totally unnecessary. We didn't need it. I here. find Seriously. it because she was a fantastic I think that she was one of the highlights of Force Awakens. I, I see Force Awakens as like a so-so movie. Like, okay, I get it. You introduced the characters. It set up a better story than what I feel like that we got. Um, it, it, it got the job done. Maybe not well, but it got the job done to restart a trilogy. But mm-hmm. Moskatana was one of my favorite parts because she's just very, very out there and that's also some of the comedy like when the entire bar stops on Tokodana because she just yells Han Solo across the thing and then she asks where's my boyfriend in reference to Chewie like I find those lines genuinely funny she's a good character in this movie squandered if you're not going if you're not going to give her something useful or like she was very she was another plot convenience. She was another, she was very expositional. No, she was expositional in this movie. Everything she said was pure exposition. And then it set up the character that is DJ, which we can get to later. Later. Yeah. yeah. We'll talk about DJ later. Nothing against Benicio del Toro. I'm never going to say no to having Lupita Nyong'o here. She is such an incredible actress. Um, but I, I just feel like they should have just given given her something to do. Honestly, though, if they had gone to Canto Bite for any other reason, people would have complained about that too. About how it was like like too easy that they knew exactly the place to go. Um, so I feel like like there's no winning in this scenario uh, uh, to get Finn and Rose to this f- from one place to another. Um, so Canto, but, um, at least we got at least but, we got Leonardo in here. I guess. Yeah. No. So. And then after that, you know, Holdo had a conversation with Poe. She withholds her grand plan for reasons. Yeah, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. Um, I don't don't see that as so strange. I mean, as she says, his plan led to a lot of loss of life in their whole bomber fleet. He got demoted. He you know, is is not, you know, he he's an impulsive, you know, flight jockey flyboy. I, I think that this is this is kind of a beat you see in a lot of a lot of you know maybe older movies in the eighties and nineties. But I think from a character perspective, she's right to just like you know, who the fuck are you, dude? <laughs> well, yeah. the impression I got was that she wasn't telling. Or they never mentioned. At least, if they did, I didn't pick up on it. They didn't mention that anybody else really knows about her plan. Like, it's not just Poe. 
And so I, I just can't really see that as a good decision personally. Interesting. Uh, okay. Akbar knew about it, but he got, you know, stuck. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, so we're back on Octu, uh, and uh, we this is the first time we see Kylo and Ray's Force dyad, uh, the connection they share through the Force, um, which is an interesting idea that I think Ryan Johnson uh, does a lot with here. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great idea. Um, it's a great way to link between the characters. We get some really good scenes between um, Adam Driver and Daisy Ridley. Um, and again, it's something that we've never seen in Star Wars before, but when you think about like what the Force can do, it's something that would come up at some point. Uh, so I think that it's, it's, it, it's a new Force ability that I think they've... Um, since this movie came out, I think they've tried to retcon it into like other Star Wars media, like, oh, that other characters from the past actually had this um, that, you know, in, in, in typical Star Wars retcon fashion. Um, but I think it is a unique idea that they could have done more with. They kind of just they kind of sweep it under the rug a little bit, um, but it does lead to um, one of the coolest fights, in my opinion, in Rise of Skywalker. Uh, where where Ray passes Kylo uh, the lightsaber through their through their connection. Uh, anyway, Brennan. Um, my thing is I. Well, I do say it is a fantastic idea. I do agree with that, but also the fact that we, because the Force pretty much every maybe not so much the prequel trilogies, but more the original series and the sequel trilogy is very much a MacGuffin-type thing. It's there to advance the plot or help advance the plot. And I feel like in the original trilogy, it does it in such a way that it doesn't feel like it's fabricated. Like, it feels like it's very... Not, not a unique, but very in character with, you know, Luke struggling to lift up the X-Wing and Empire Strikes Back. And it's very, because there are real struggles with it that are, um, that are overcome or sometimes even they're not overcome. And he, and you can just find another way around it. But I feel like, especially in this movie and also the whole life bringing back thing, which makes sense in terms of Star Wars, but just didn't, sit well with me in Rise of Skywalker. It's just very more MacGuffin-y. That may also be a critique on movies within the last 15, 20 years, but I'm noticing a lot in the last two Star Wars movies. It's very, like, you're introducing new things that we've never even been hinted at before, strictly for, in my opinion, strictly for advancing the plot or adding something that will obviously be helpful later on in the third act or the climax. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I, okay. I hate to go back to the fuel thing. Okay. Wait, hold but, on. Are we, okay. are we back? Are we back there yet? Because uh, my notes, we are. My next note is for Luke training Ray. Was okay. Uh, you get to yours okay, first. Okay. Okay. Um, so uh, Luke 
um, and Ray have their first lesson, which in my opinion is one of the humorous scenes that, uh, uh, that works. Uh, I thought it was funny. Still think it's funny uh, when Ray is, 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 is sitting and Luke says, reach out and Ray actually reaches out and Luke starts uh, tickling uh, her fingers with the branch. Uh, uh, do you feel that? That's the force slaps her hand i think that's funny i still find that funny brennan i saw you roll your eyes uh i think that's I, yeah yeah defend yourself <laughs> i do find it funny i just like especially like if she like flat out reaches out her hand right mm-hmm. it it's funny but it doesn't seem in character for ray for well for me anyway because ray in the first one in Force Awakens is very practical. She is very practical or very she seems very intelligent. And I feel like she had to be living. Oh my god, what is Jaku? Jaku, thank you. Is she has to be um intelligent to uh live off the land and be by herself. So I feel like that she can relate with luke on that mm-hmm. which i feel like that could have been a good addition if they're like oh we're both living on this land blah, blah blah but the fact of her holding out her hand i'm like it like and this also adds to the point that i was saying of dumbing down characters intelligence for comedy which now that i say it out loud not so much a critique on this movie per se, because so many things in media do that. They will constantly fluctuate a character's intelligence for the sake of a joke. A prime example of this, Homer Simpson. He progressively over the years has, in my opinion, gotten dumber and it just doesn't. And in other media, that's just something that they fluctuate intelligence for the sole, for the sole purpose of comedy and whether you think it works or not, I do not think that that is a good trope for most things to incorporate. Homer Simpson's a good example. I would also think the difference in how they characterize Drax between the two Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think in, in volume two, it's much more of an example of what you're talking about. As much as I love those movies, I I agree with you on that. Because the funny in the first part is, we can jump right back after this round. I know you're chomping at the bit. But in the first one is very, he's being literal and like that's part of the joke. But in the second one, he seems a lot more comedic. And I understand that James Gunn has said it's because Dave Bautista is a genuinely funny person and he can go into it. But I also think that it's sticking with a role or sticking with it and not just delving into it for comedy's sake. Sounds good. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, so I have a few more notes for this scene, then we can move on. Uh, I, so I, I really understand why Luke is afraid to train Ray. It, it makes perfect sense, fits in with his character arc because he had a bad experience with Kylo and he doesn't want it to happen again. Uh, and this is why I think the character arcs in this movie really do make sense. Uh, like, like scenes aside, the character arcs for the, uh, uh, the main characters um, really do um, have a, a, a very strategic purpose here. Um, like, like Kylo, uh, for example, 
uh, keeps on calling himself a monster. It's like he's trying to make himself seem like a like a worse person than he is, and he's trying to be as awful as possible so he can um, so he can accept it himself, give into the dark, and resist the light because he feels the light calling to him. So he's actively trying to resist it by doing these awful things. And at the end of this movie, which we'll get to in part two, um, he starts to sort of drift uh, drift in that direction, but stops himself right then. Um, so I think uh, the character arcs and, and and we sort of get that with with, with Luke here, um, and we'll talk about this later when we get to Luke uh, briefly considering murdering Ben Solo, uh, but we're not there yet. Uh, first, I just think that the the character arcs in this movie really do make sense, and we get that a little bit with Luke here. Um, so Sebastian, uh, I defer to you. So fuel in space, right? And what I don't understand, I hate to bring it back up, but it'll only be briefly, I promise. Um, is that, I mean, if something's in space, right? And if you use fuel, it'll accelerate it, right? But there's no like air resistance or friction or anything in space. So are they just constantly accelerating? They'd have to be. I don't know. It just, these are the things I think about. And I, I, yeah. All right. That's all I wanted to say. I don't know why, but that's a good question that I hadn't thought about before. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah. So um, I believe we're at the Canto. Yeah. Now Bite they go to Canto Bite. Now, Brennan, right? you're loose. Ooh, ooh. Okay. So <laughs> Canto Bite um, is. I am in no way doubting that there is a whole planet, a whole casino planet. In Star Wars, it's not really a planet, is it? I th- I, th- I thought it was just one town. <laughs> okay, <laughs> his so whole logic this- falls the- apart. The- the- theoretically, Coruscant is both a planet and one city. Fair, true, true. Anyway, Brennan, but continue. so Canto Bight is to me very, very divisive in my thing because there are many things throughout Canto Bight that is just not doesn't sit well with me star wars wise like i mean they sh- especially because they're following uh Muscatana's advice to find um the the master code breaker right Justin. and then they end up stumbling upon this bumbling idiot thief that can do the exact same thing that this person that is described to be one of a kind who is by the way played the brief scenes we've seen with him, I love Justin Thoreau. So I think I'm like, ooh, I wish he had more of a role. He didn't. Spoiler alert, he didn't. It was Benicio Del Toro. I love Benicio Del Toro, but like the character seemed very strictly to betray the main characters, which for me was seemingly obvious. Once you talk it's, to him for a little bit, you're like, he's going to screw him over. He, the Too bad he doesn't I, come back to redeem himself in episode nine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the main thing I think about when I see this guy is that he reminds me of the hobo in the Polar Express. Like, <laughs> I, like he, just, he just gives off the same One, one of the of 10 billion characters in that movie played by Tom Hanks. Yeah, yeah exactly. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom uh, plays the majority of the adult oh, main oh, characters okay. in that movie. He reminds me of this diamond thief um, in the movie Snatch, ironically also played by Benicio Del Toro. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, um, so I have some, actually some, some early notes before we get to Benicio del Toro's introduction. Um, yeah. There are some three major cameos uh, as, as viewers or listeners of the podcast. Now I love talking about cameos by um, some established actors in these movies. Uh, you guys got one of them. That's Justin Theroux as the master codebreaker. Uh, but Ryan Johnson, regular Joseph Gordon Levitt, who has been in all of Ryan Johnson's movies uh, cameos as the, um, as the alien who is talking to the guards about how they illegally parked on his beach. Uh, that's Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, very, uh, you'll miss it cameo, and he's making his voice deeper. Uh, and Mark Hamill. What, Brennan? And then the third one is Hamill because he's that tiny one. He's that a little uses, uh, dr- drunk alien that tries to give BB-8 his uh, token. That tries to use BB-8 as a slot machine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then later he's, uh, he's, he's very happily drowning in the tokens that are falling during the uh, Fathier um, rampage. Anyway. One quick thing about Canto Bite is yeah. that the ground starts shaking when the freaking things run by and this is like very nitpicky, but uh, you know, we do nitpicky things sometimes. The ground starts shaking. I refuse to believe that somebody built this fancy, like rich person casino in an area where it would constantly be shaking due to the racetrack going by. <laughs> good, good point. Good point. I, 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 uh, I don't know. Rich people do dumb things. Like <laughs> rich true. people, yeah. like, like there, there, there's a certain strain um, of what I call grifter futurism that goes on. And Elon Musk is a great example of this. And the whole grifter futurism thing is basically that a certain elite will just strip the earth for parts and they're just going to fuck off to Mars, assuming it all works out, uh, and then leave the rest of us to sort of be like Matt Damon in the movie Elysium uh, <laughs> while they're up in their space station um, or on Mars. I don't think... I, um, as Mark Hamill says in the, as Mark Hamill says in this movie, I don't think it's going to turn out the way they think. Um, but I, I, it's just like whenever, whenever like people who I think are normally smart tell me that Elon Musk is some sort of like Tony Stark like genius, and I just in my head go like, "Oh, you poor, poor sweet summer child." <laughs> um, so I, I think I think rich people do like. Um, really dumb things to the point where I think that they would come up with some sort of like super like high class reason of like that alcohol just does not taste correctly until it has been shaken by uh, whatever those things are called race. And once it gets that, once it gets that little seismic shake there, then perfect, the perfect cocktail. Yeah, I buy that completely. I I could I could see that happening. So you know what? That I'll cross that off. <laughs> um. um. So upon watching this movie. Uh, for the, I don't remember what time this is. I saw it a bunch when it was in theaters, but this is the first time seeing it in at least a year and a half, maybe two. Um, so the the Canto Bite storyline was definitely not as bad as I remember it being. When I first saw it, I remember it as a diversion from the main story and something that I could really do without because I just wanted to get back to Ray and Kylo and Luke. Uh, or even like the friggin' fuel shortage. But now upon rewatching it's not nearly as bad. And that's because I think, A, I've grown. I was, I was young, obviously younger when I saw this for the first time. 
Um, and I, I understand much more of the subtext. And Dr. Ray, we, we, we were talking about this before uh, the episode started. Um, do you want to share some of your thoughts from, from that conversation? So um, I think that this is a moment where Ryan Johnson really puts his class politics on stage. Uh, Knives Out, another good example of this. But um, I think it's it's the only Star Wars movie that really does that. Like I think that the prequels, especially, are very political, but in the sense of being a response to the Iraq War. So more of a foreign policy kind of big picture thing, not about class. Uh, Lucas tries to kind of retroject this sort of foreign policy thing to the first trilogy. They like the rebels of the Viet Cong and the Empire's America, which I, I guess, but I think that's much more of a stretch. Um, I think two things that I think ultimately make this scene uncomfortable for folks, especially when they first see it, is is one, the viewpoint that's ultimately summed up by Benicio del Toro's character a little bit later than maybe we're going to talk about today, is a very cynical one that ultimately I don't think the movie fully agrees with, even though I think Ryan Johnson kind of does. But the other thing, too, is if you really think about it, the folks on Canto Blight in the casino could easily be seen as an Amer any American audience watching this movie and that they are completely removed from warfare around the world, like, for example, in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and that is not a comfortable thing, I think, for anybody watching this movie to think about, and definitely not what they expected going in. Um, and so I think it's a challenging scene for that reason. And the other reason, again, is that it's the only Star Wars scene that really brings class politics to the fore. And so it sticks out like a sore thumb um, against really every other scene in the nine movies. I, yeah. yeah probably. Now hearing all of this, I think it's more of the fact that Ryan Johnson, God, Sebastian, I'm still on your side, but I'm hearing a lot more. I think it's that <laughs> Ryan Johnson brought in so many there are some things that missed. I'll be honest with you. Some things did miss, and I'll be completely front about that. But I think that he tried to bring in a whole new, like, yeah. like what uh, what Doctor Ray was just talking about with uh, with the classes, and it just seems he was trying to put so much into it that it's just never brought up again. And I think. You can also feel kind of bad for Ryan Jonathan at some points because, like, he's, like, just wedged in between two J.J. Abrams blockbuster machines that don't care about continuity too much and care about, boom, money, action, some dialogue that explains a little bit like this. And then Ryan Johnson tries to do a complex story, but it's not hitting all the right points that he wants to because of that fact. So I think this is another thing you want to revisit in part two, because I think this does come up in that 
very, very last scene in the movie um, with the stable hand. But the other thing about the Abrams movies that you're talking about there is that I think that in most, if not all, J.J. Abrams products that he's attached to, the emphasis is put much more on character than on plot. Fr the TV show Fringe is a really good example about this. Um, in, in Force Awakens still, I think, plays with that. What makes Rise of Skywalker so frustrating is I think it's the first J.J. Abrams production where he can't even get the character stuff right. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I do have a little bit more to say about the Canto Bite scene, but I did. I'll save it. I I want to save it and reference it later when we get to something in part two. So I'll do that. Um, yeah. I think we, we pop back to Octu here with uh, Ray and Luke. Um, when Ray is uh, uh, training with her staff and then she gets the lightsaber accidentally uh, cutting off a rock and disappointing Luke uh, and the, the location where they filmed this island. Uh, it's an island called Skellig Michael in Ireland. Uh, it is absolutely gorgeous. It is incredible, and I think it looks great. Uh, and leaning into the point that was said before about Ryan Johnson's cinematography, um, this, is, this is just a gorgeous movie. Um, and a little fact for you here, if you didn't know, um, there are uh, a ton of puffins on the island of Skellig Michael. So much so that in a ton of the shots, there were puffins flying by in the background, so they CGI'd over those to make the porgs. Uh, so if you ever see a porg <laughs> flying in the background, probably a puffin that they had to uh, CGI over. There was a good webcomic about that a couple of years ago. Um, the other thing about Skellig Michael, the island, there's a book by a guy named uh, Thomas Cahill, he's probably dead now, called How the Irish Saved Civilization. And its starting scene is um, the monasteries on Skellig Michael and how the monks there you know, were copying down, you know, well, at this time, really Latin texts, keeping that stuff going. Um, so that's an island I'd really like to go to at some point for non-Star Wars reasons, but also for Star Wars reasons. <laughs> um, yeah, those are those are all the notes I have for that scene. Those are all the notes you had uh, for that for that very brief scene. Yes. Oh, okay. I was, <laughs> not I was not like, for the <laughs> whole thing. No, I still have about a full page of notes left. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. No. So I think this is when Luke talks to her more about. We get uh, him yeah. talking about Ben later on. That's later. Okay, yeah. Ben. That's um, all the notes I got for now, too. Yeah, so uh, we're back on Canto Bite. Uh, they meet DJ, played by Benicio Del Toro. Mm -hmm. uh, and DJ has a stutter, which is not something we see a lot in Star Wars. Uh, and so upon this rewatch, um, I realized that there's there's so much in this movie that we don't see like anywhere else in the Star Wars universe, which is either a could be a good or a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. I think it's a good thing um, because it's just pointing out the things um, that happen in real life that would probably happen in the Star Wars universe, too, given uh, the technology and, um, you know, like the people in Star Wars are human are humans, too. So naturally, you know, some of them uh, might might do things that humans in our world do. Um, like, for example, um, in the Star Wars High Republic uh, 
comic series that is coming out now. Uh, it has the first uh, transgender and non-binary Star Wars characters. Um, I know um, Star Wars Squadrons, I believe, has a non-binary character, uh, but it 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 it's just you know like we have like we've never seen them these like this kind of thing in star wars before i think when it comes to the transgender and non-binary characters i think the reasoning is different uh for uh characters with a stutter um but I, but I, I i just think that it's great that the star wars universe is acknowledging uh the people in their universe who um would have um who who, who would have these these characteristics and or I, I, identities uh, so yeah, so I think that's great. Points to Ryan Johnson uh, for doing a character with a stutter. That, that was a very long uh, spiel about a stutter. Uh, but yeah, there we go. <laughs> I think I think now I'm finally putting it together as to why this movie is so divisive. This divide, yes, divisive, divisive because yeah. it because it adds so many things from the real world that I think when you go into a Star Wars movie, you don't want to see because Star Wars original trilogy is overarching battle between good and bad and the overcoming of good into that evil. And I think that's why people want to, or why people had high expectations going into this movie than when they came out, because I think it's because they didn't go there for social commentary. They didn't go there for, for this or that. They went there for the space opera, for the right. space opera, the little bit of drama, the mostly character-driven plot things that seems very contained. But, it's contained uh, and safe, not so much bringing in outside world issues. But, uh, you know, this, this, it's not like it was ever like Star Trek doing this. But as I was saying, there is a ton of social commentary in the prequel trilogy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it is very much a commentary on what was going on with the Bush administration at the time. Um, you know, I think of all the nine movies, the, pre the, the episodes two and three are, are the most um, the products of their times and the lead up in the midst of, um, the Iraq war. So, I mean, I, I don't think this is something that's, you know, super alien um, to Star Wars. The prequels, you, you could argue, are, are a bit more um, subtle about it, maybe, than this is. Sure. Um, but I, I, I don't think this is so alien to Star Wars. Um, it, it, maybe to, the, to the, the, the original trilogy, but I think the prequels said at least set up that this was something that could be done but uh, yeah no but i think the the reason why in the last jedi might be like a little bit more jarring is because um if you were to watch like the prequels not knowing the historical context to going around you know going on around the years that they were made you wouldn't really pick up on that you know that parallel as much but here i think the maybe it's just because it came out more recently but i think it's a little bit more universal um in this movie personally but right yeah. 
Um, so now we're back on Octu, uh, and before we get to Luke briefly considering murdering his nephew, uh, we get uh, the one of the um, personally, I think one of the best memes to come out of this movie uh, is Ben Swolo, <laughs> aka um, Kylo Ren without a shirt. Uh, which, I thought you were going to say the sacred text memes, which I also agree that. No, I, I'm not as aware of the sacred text memes, but Ben I Swolo, uh, rightly pointed out by Ray, I, like, isn't there something he, he, he could put on? He could, he, he could totally have put on a shirt, but he deliberately chose not to. Um, so I just wanted to. He did it for the meme, Rowan. He did it for the meme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ryan Johnson was like, not, I want to meme these gamers. <laughs> you know, not not to spoil it too much, but maybe Snoke chose that moment specifically. Mm, mm. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, I, I shall tempt. I shall tempt her. I will increase his sex appeal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a why new uh, appreciation that's, for this movie with Doctor Wright's commentary. On that's it. why Snoke. Say. That's why Snoke didn't want him to wear a mask because without the mask, you wouldn't be able to see his beautiful face. <laughs> anyway, um, you got to ruin my whole plan. You cover up, cover up that face. <laughs> Maybe work on the scars a little bit too, buddy. Right? Can yeah. she stare longingly into your eyes if they're covered up? Um, but yeah, uh, yes. Yeah, so, so, yep, yep. Sebastian, it's yeah. So Ky- Kylo, you know, in his glorious bod, tells um, <laughs> Ray. Tells Ray, um, sort of, uh, what Luke tried to do from his point of view, um, where some some unreliable narrator moments here uh, exactly. from from Kylo which and is, which is a Jedi tradition. This right. is the from right. a certain right. point of view practice. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he he explains that Luke, um, well, tried to kill him because he sensed dark side in him that's that's the yeah. explanation um although and and going. and so i feel like we can just use this moment to discuss luke's act in general even though from luke's perspective mm-hmm. um he had a moment of temporary madness where he uh where he sensed the darkness in kylo and it was worse than he previously thought um but it was just like it, it was just a really quick passing moment and i think this is Honestly, like a lot of people um, talk trash about this moment. I think it really makes sense within within the context of the character of Luke because he he was tempted. Um, he, like even though Luke wouldn't acknowledge it, he was very briefly tempted by the dark. Um, and I, I, ironically, he was tempted by the dark to destroy the dark within Kylo um, because, and we, we've never really seen this in Luke before. It shows he's not perfect and that he really does have some of his father, more, maybe more of his father in him than he initially thought. Um, and, you know, like everyone makes mistakes. Some are worse than others. Sometimes you consider murdering your nephew for half a second, you know, like it happens, whatever. Um, but I think this character choice was really uh, in character for Luke, and it is um, really understated, uh, I think. Brennan. So I think just I chuckled the first time I saw him just about to slaughter his nephew. And I think it's just because... Mark Hamill's facial expression is kind of funny. Yeah. Well, Mark (laughs) Hamill's facial expressions throughout every movie he's in is always... But the... I think the reason I laughed is because I didn't 
because it was just so abrupt. I think my main thing with that is the abruptness. And now, like, I understand why he'd want to isolate himself for th- for however many years. He did it because he was so tempted and he was so ashamed of himself that he was so close to something that he fought against and won against for a solid moment of time that he is just so ashamed and just hating himself to the very core for even thinking this thought that he's like, I got to go. I think think that's true. Um, there's, so there's a saying when it comes to foreign policy that people are always trying to fight the last war. I mean, a good example of this is that we're trying to restart the Cold War now, except with China. Um, but to bring up a line that Luke says earlier, you know, in one of his first lessons to raise about the failure of the Jedi, that, um, you know, the, the Jedi Council, Mace Windu, Yoda, all these people just completely overlooked this huge Sith plan and various Sith apprentices and Darth Sidious basically taking over everything. I think Yoda later kind of obliquely references this because that's also his failure. Um, But I think that Luke realizing this is going to operate in reaction to that. And so when, and so he would want as a reaction to nip something like that in the bud really early on. And so now he's presented with, there it is, whoops, but it's your nephew, uh-oh. And then, you know, the whole thing that we see, which leads to that, you know, whole shame that you were talking about. Um, but I, I wonder if we are meant to see that in relation to the speech he saw earlier about how the Jedi just let Darth Sidious and Tyrannus and Maul and all these other people and Vader um, spring up and wipe them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so then we get uh, the Last Jedi's cave sequence, which I'm going to give Ryan Johnson points again. He could have done a retread of this of the cave sequence from um, Empire Strikes Back. He could have had Rey fight a vision of Kylo Ren, um, but no, uh, she didn't. Uh, and this cave scene, I think, is very cool, very visually striking, uh, with the multiple rays uh, sort of going like in, like in and out of each other's time. I think that's very cool. This scene, I think, was um, for the sole purpose of building up Ray's parents as a red herring. Um, and I, I, I feel like that is something you could either love or hate about this movie, the fact that they build up Ray's parents so much. And then later on, Kylo says, like, they, they were no one. Um, and this sort of leans into one of the major themes of the movie that I'm sure we'll talk about more next episode, is that anyone can have Force abilities. You don't have to be a descendant of a great Jedi, or you don't have to be, uh, like, you don't have to be a Jedi to have Force abilities, to, to have these remarkable abilities. You can literally be the children of nobody, and you can still do great things. However... Uh, I blame Disney's lack of a plan for this. Uh, they saw how people reacted to this and they were like, no, we got to we gotta make it related to someone. Uh, okay, we're just going to flip through the Star Wars character dictionary and find a random uh, force user there. Uh, and they happened to choose um, one of the, one of the, someone who could also work as the villain of the movie. So convenience alert. Um, it just would have been so much better if it just made it Obi-Wan. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, the the only thing I, w- I would I would I like what you're saying there, Rowan. But honestly, 
this all the scenes in this movie like I get what it's trying to do in reference to that cave scene in Empire and all the stuff you're saying it's the one scene in the movie that doesn't work for me interesting it, it never even even this go around it just never has mm-hmm. yeah. and I think the reason is precisely what you what you pointed to is that this real disagreement about race origins which is probably the second most like uh, really standout thing in the mismanagement of it next to oh what do we do with Finn? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um. Uh, okay, so I my next note is for when um, Luke catches uh, Ray and Kylo together, kind of like the dad coming in and finding uh, yeah. uh, his 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 <laughs> daughter and her boyfriend on, uh, on 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 top of each other. Um, but so Luke comes in and uh, finds Kylo and Ray engaged in like a weird like like just the tips uh, hand touch thing, um, and then <laughs> and then he Luke destroys the cottage and i i wrote the caretakers are going to be so pissed at luke for destroying the cottage because they got really mad at ray when she shot a blast like a hole with a blaster in it and luke Luke just destroys the entire thing um so i would be if if i was one of those caretakers i would be so pissed off at luke right there Uh, they should have used that as an argument to get him to leave like when they wake up tomorrow man they are going to be so pissed (laughs) Um, and then Luke and Ray, uh, Ray gets super mad at Luke because now she knows Kylo's perspective on the whole thing. So now she needs Luke's. Uh, and so Ray activates the lightsaber in the rain, which is such a cool visual. The lightsaber with the rain coming down upon it. Like I, I paused it. I looked closer. Like the rain like starts to sizzle when it hits the lightsaber blade. Very cool attention uh, to detail there. Um, and Ray. Yeah. Ray talks about how she still senses balance, or not balance, but the opposite. What is it? Conflict. Conflict, um, yeah. conflict in Kylo and how she thinks that she can sort of lead him from the, the dark side. But Luke is against this plan. It just strikes me as a little bit odd because like it, it very closely resembles his plan with vader and i mean that worked out so i, I don't know like i said be, he's, he's, but to be fair though it's still kind of a reaction because in empire it didn't mm-hmm. ultimately yes it did but um not not in not in kind of a similar narrative uh, yeah. point yeah but he's i don't know he struck me as like so against the possibility of like Kylo being swayed. I don't know. I think that may have also been because he tried to nip the dark side in the bud earlier when he tried to almost murder his nephew. And I think he is like, there can be too much temptation. That's how I interpret it. That he's like, I do not want anyone else to feel as tempted because isn't that also when she was, is this before or after she like looks into the dark swirly thing or whatever, when she, when he gets all pissed at her and after, is like, I think. it's after. after yeah. So I think maybe he's, so then ignore that point. 
but I think because he sees that she could in the future also feel said temptation that he did. And I think he just does not want anyone at all to make the same mistakes he did, especially when it comes to Kylo. So I think that's why he's so against it. Interesting. Um, Yeah. So Ray leaves uh, because she figures uh, if she turns herself into Kylo, uh, then maybe she can help turn him back to the light. Uh, and then Luke is fed up with the Jedi. He takes, uh, he takes a torch and he goes to burn down the tree. And who should he encounter on the way but a genuine uh, puppet, uh, a puppet Yoda, uh, Force Ghost Yoda, um, played once again by oh, Frank Yoda. Oz. Really, really appreciate that. Um, and yeah, uh, this Yoda scene is one of my favorites in the movie, uh, not only because of the nostalgia factor, but also just um, because of uh, like, like the total um, character shift it does with Luke uh, and, and, and also um, just the wisdom that Yoda imparts about like the old Jedi texts. Like you can learn a lot from like old, like in terms of religion, because that's what the Jedi are. They are a religion. Like you can learn a lot from like old texts, but if you're not going to go into any new territory, if you're not going to consider um, like, if, if, if you're not going to consider doing anything new, then what's the point? Um, and so th- th- uh, that was one of my takeaways with this scene. Also, Force ghosts can interact with the real world, question mark, because Yoda brings down the lightning that destroys the tree. So that's a whole bunch of implications um, for for something totally different. Um, But yeah. Yoda can now control the weather too. Right, right, right. Yeah. I don't even know if he could do that when he was alive. Um, He became an X-Man, actually. He's got 30 years to hone his force skills. And he's, yeah, he's just been chilling with Qui-Gon Jinn, and, and, and Qui-Gon's like, hey, man, I figured out weather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so... I have a particular set of skills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the the sacred texts get burned to uh, bring up refer- uh, references. Brennan's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Brennan's, Brennan's uh, new name is uh, Brennan's new name is a uh, references actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they get burned and Ray le- Ray left right. So... Yep. Ray is gone. Yep. And uh, that's where we're going to end actually uh, for, for today's. Um, yeah. For the first half of the Last Jedi, a li- little more than half, but whatever. Uh, we have about an hour to go, so that's what we're going to cover in our. Uh, part two uh, this episode might actually be our longest episode of across the stars yet uh the the same was true for our force awakens episode that took the cake uh and i don't know we're only discussing half a movie and this is probably our longest episode so just goes to show how much we have to say about this movie uh we'll save general opinions until the end but for now all of you out there thank you so much for watching listening whatever meeting you're viewing us on uh sebastian and i have another podcast called Extra Onions, where we talk about everything that isn't Star Wars. Dr. Wright has been a guest on there a few times, and I'm sure Brennan will be a guest on there uh, eventually. I'm sure. Um, (laughs) So for all those of you out there, goodbye in TV land, uh, and we'll be back next week with part two.